Welcome back to another riveting episode of Jimmy Eat Pod here today. Um, we have our friend Alia Chowdhury, and uh, we'll get into her introduction in just a moment. Um, I did want to tell you, though, you know, we David and I are both are both parents. Uh, I haven't asked you, are, are, are you a parent at all? No. <laughs> okay, so he and I, you know, we're both parents, and we have younger children, and we we, we don't have any kind of, like, inherent worries yet, but they're, you know, our kids are growing up. Each age range, you know, when, when they hit these milestones, it comes with different child personalities. And, and right now, uh, you know, my kids, they're testing my patience, right? The one reason why we got the SUV was so that we could take our kids around uh, when they're older, when they're in mm-hmm. high school and, and take them from their practices or from school and all this. And, and it's like, my kids, they're not even close to that age yet. And, and I'm thinking that when they do become that age, what's it going to be like? I'm sitting there in the front seat of this this vehicle, and I've got my daughter or my son with their friends in the back. And I don't know if they're just yelling, they're rambunctious, they smell like feet, and perhaps they're singing whatever it is their generation's version of uh, <laughs> Call Me Maybe is, right? Uh, yeah. And I'm thinking, you know, in these these cars, you're able to hold like six teenagers in this thing. It's, you know, it's a lot oh, wow. of kids in there. And my nightmare is like being that dad in the front and can't do anything. And I, and, and this recurring sort of thought in my head is like, what could possibly be worse than six teens? <laughs> I don't know. Seven teens. <laughs> Funny. <laughs> this is Jimmy Eat Pod. All right, now that one that one was a stretch. I know, I know that it's seventeens; it's plural. Um, the whole build up to that thing was very, very difficult for me. I, I'm sure you could tell that I was kind of struggling at the no, beginning. No, I I felt like your delivery was good. Sorry if I was like a little stiff. I just I kept thinking about one of the like um, interpretations I read about the song on song meanings was like it's a parent worried about their kid going to college. So I thought Absolutely. that's where you were going to. I, I felt like that like, was very fitting. <laughs> yeah, you know, so and I, I thought. I usually think about these things on like the drive home right before I'm going to record. And it's the worst time to think about it. Cause now it's like, uh, you know, I, I'm under, I'm under the gun. I've got to figure something else out. And I got like 10 minutes to decide on something. And, and, and I was originally going to go with something that fit with that song, the whole background of the song. And I, and I, but then I thought maybe that's a little too obvious. So I wanted to make that, uh, that, that loosely uh, true story. I mean, we did actually get the SUV for specifically for that. My wife said, oh, wow. I, I want to get a car where when our kids are older, you know, she played basketball when she was younger and her parents taxied her around with her friends. So she wanted to be able to, to do that. So I just thought of being that, that, um, that dad <laughs> you know, <laughs> trying to deal with it. So after all of that, we have now, um, now that you've met, uh, you've heard Alia. Now I'd like to introduce her. So Alia Chowdhury, could you could you please introduce yourself and then maybe tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and maybe your how how you're involved with Jimmy World? Sure. So I um, I guess the best way to describe what I do is I'm an entertainment and tech reporter, um, and I write about music a lot. I'm currently freelancing for Kerrang. Um, and I also uh, on and off do uh, album reviews for New Noise, and I actually reviewed Surviving back in October. Um, wow! And also, I'm just like a super huge pop punk kid. Um, my favorite band has, is All Time Low, and they've been my favorite favorite band since I was 14. Um, 
And like, even before that, like, I remember being like six and listening to Yellow Card and being 10 and listening to Fall Out Boy. Um, so it's just like, I've always just kind of gravitated towards this kind of music and I'm just like super obsessed with it now. Um, and I guess I started listening to Jimmy Eat World around the time I was 14. Um, I, so I grew up, I moved around a lot. I grew up in four different countries, but from the, from fourth through 12th grade, I was living in Nairobi, Kenya, and we had like a really great alternative radio station. Shout out to 105.5 XFM. Um, Is that like the equivalent of uh, K-Rock out here? I guess so. They played a lot of stuff that like wouldn't get radio play in the States ever. Like they used to play like, um, like all time low songs that I think never did very well. They used to play like Falling in Reverse. Um, and like, yeah, like they played a lot of, play a lot of mainstream stuff, but a lot of kind of under the radar stuff. But I remember them playing a lot of songs off of Invented because it had just come out and like listening to like My Best Theory and like really loving My Best Theory, um, and Coffee and Cigarettes. Yeah. That's a ripper, man. That's a big one. Yeah. It's like one of, that's probably, that's one of my favorite songs. And then I remember like I bought Future, I think when I was like 15, 16. Um, I should mention I am right now 23. Um, I was trying to do the math when you were when you were saying listening to Yellow Card at what was it fourteen six, so, I'm sorry six and then you had gotten into I think you said Jimmy World a little bit later fourteen or sixteen yeah and I was trying to do the math and I'm thinking well I am about ten years older but not even I'm further than that I'm almost fifteen years older <laughs> um, which is I mean it's excellent for you to be into this band uh, I, I'm interested to hear you know that you were introduced through you said invented right. Yeah, so it was invented. So, yeah, my best theory mm-hmm. mainly. Okay. Um, yeah, that one. That one's a. Uh, I don't even look at the invented album. If what was the single off of that? Was it my best theory or it was? I want to say it was my best theory. That was that had to be the single off of that album because I'm looking at all the other tracks on this and none of these none of them stand out. Um, stand out as obviously as my best theory as like a single. I remember coffee and cigarettes being on the radio, but then again, I don't know if that was like a single thing or just um, just that radio station really liking it. I'm going to say it was the radio station. And this is also so 2010 is when mm-hmm. I guess you could you could argue that like K-Rock sort of they changed their the way that they were playing what they were playing. And and I don't know if you want to say that they sold out, but <laughs> they were they were kind of like what you were describing um, your radio station as mm-hmm. where they were playing this kind of like late 90s was harder harder to find stuff more obscure tracks from these bands and that's when i really got into that that station for finding new music and then i got into more of the uh i guess it's the the top the top 100 um rock songs now that that's what they're doing and i don't even listen to that station anymore yeah i think it was interesting because um like i like i'd been listening to like fallout boy like around the time they blew up but then like i really started getting to rock music when i was like 14 so i was 2010 i was in ninth grade and that was probably the worst time to get into this kind of rock because I think it had just stopped being cool. Um, but yeah, and I just like just became super like interested in the scene and like it basically it was like discovered all time low and then anyone all time low toured with anyone all time low mentioned. Um, and they used to cite Jimmy World as a reference, like as an influence, like a lot. Um, I was thinking about this day. I don't think a lot of the newer bands do so much anymore. Um, using but, Jimmy world as like a, a reference of inspiration. Like, yeah. Like, so I kind of being like, they were a big influence, but all time will always did. And I remember, um, like they really like futures. So I like bought futures. Um, and, and then futures yeah. is futures is, is a, is my favorite album. And I've come out and, and I'm kind of like wishy-washy on a couple other ones, <laughs> but co- going back futures is such a solid album. 
Um, that one, that was Oh four. So you got the two albums before invented. Yeah. Um, and so, then you, sorry. No, go ahead. Um, yeah. So then I like was listening to them and then I think I just like stopped for whatever reason, not because I didn't like them. I guess I just got sidetracked with like so much, so much other music. Um, and then, uh, re- decided to review, uh, surviving back in October and I listened to every single song they had put out <laughs> because I was like, wow, it's been like years since I feel like I've listened to Jimmy Eat world. Um, so you had not listened to, had you, had you not listened to the, the couple of albums in between? No, um, I listened to, I, I remember I will steal you back. I remember listening to that when that came out. Um, yeah. And, and that one was, um, oh my gosh, that was 2013. I want to say 2013. Yes. 2014. Uh, uh, damage. damage. It was, yeah, it, yeah. The damage album. Um, yeah. So I just listened to all of it and I just like, was like, Oh my God, like where, like, why have I been sleeping on this for so long? Um, and <laughs> it's like, yeah, cool so though, since October, you've got I've all been, this like, music to go through, right? Yeah. It was like, it's like 11 albums. Um, but the thing that really, the album that really stood out to me that time was, um, Chase this light. So that's like currently my favorite album, which is, I think kind of not a common answer you get. Wait, which album? Chase this light. Chase this light, huh? So I, I, we were talking about the album art on that one. I really love Chase This Light. I like Big Casino is probably it's one of my favorite songs. I don't know if I have like a favorite Jimmy Eat World song, um, but Big Casino, Dizzy, Here It Goes. Um, what's the second track off of that? I think it's Let It Happen. Let It Happen. Yeah, those like I love all those songs. Yeah, and and the you know the the songs that that Jimmy Eat World write that are kind of like you could describe them as that poppy easy to listen to fun songs they're usually like three chords they're all major chords and they always be is is like one of those songs on that album Mm -hmm. that just gives me that sort of that uplifting happy feeling when i listen to that song yeah i um i think always be it's so sometimes i just am like not so into like the slower ones yeah so yeah, like Big Casino, I listen to like all the time. <laughs> um, yeah, you could probably categorize Jimmy Eat World into like three different categories yeah. of they have that the slow rock, the like sort of morose songs, the the brooding songs, and then they've got their hard rock songs, and then there's those uh, there's a few the the fewest amount of um, like the poppy ones. Yeah, which are still fun. You know, there's there's it's like kind of like every album has one or two of those, and it's just fun to listen to. It just it, picks you up. Yeah, it's interesting also because like I think everyone kind of wants to put a band in like one space. And I think that um, like a lot of bands like aren't like that. They're, everyone doesn't mix. Like you have to have like some slow songs and some fast songs on an album. Um, but yeah, it's interesting to see like what people's like impression of Jimmy World is like, because I think when I think of them, even though like, like I also listen to a lot of like salt, sweat, sugar, and pain um, mm-hmm. growing up, like those, like I still think of Jimmy World as like a very like I think of them as like dizzy, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's like they do have like quite a range. And I think like having listened to like the entire discography, I was kind of I was impressed a by like Integrity Blues. I didn't think because that was such a late album. I was kind of like there's always this narrative of like after a certain point like bands just don't make good albums. But I was like really impressed with kind of like the risks they took and like the experimentation on Integrity Blues. Um. And then, yeah, and then just the fact that they'd have so many solid releases in a row. Yeah, and they have a pretty consistent release. I mean, every three years yeah. or so, it looks like they've got these albums coming out. And and they, they aren't half-baked albums. Mm-hmm. I, I, um, 
I don't, I, I get so much flack for going back to, to Weezer. Um, but let's just, I'm not going to take that. I'm not going to go down that road. I'll just say that, you know, we've made this comment before, both David and I, is that these albums that they put out, they are growing as a band. They aren't, they aren't, they're exploring. Like you said, they're, they're experimenting with, with new sound. And I think 555 is a, is a yeah. glaring example of that. But they, what, whatever the album is, there might be a concept behind it, like Invented or you know, some of their older albums with, with, politics but they put out good songs they they are complete songs some maybe not they, they don't they miss the mark a little bit but it's all good music and that's yeah. what that's what David and I both love about this band is that they, they you know it doesn't matter what kind of album they put out they've they've put their all into it and they're and they're growing musicians yeah and I remember um like watching a lot of interviews around like around surviving and I um was I was a I was struck by how many interviewers were like you're my favorite band and I was like, wow, like they've had this really big fan base that's like and a really steady, like dedicated fan base. That's just like for whatever reason, like I just wasn't isn't like, I guess maybe not vocal or visible or I just like don't see it or interact with it. Um, and then also I just like thought that they were just so much fun to watch in interviews. Like I didn't realize how funny like Jim was. And like he just- is definitely. A, yeah. Not only is he a looker, you know, that guy, <laughs> <laughs> I love his I love his style. And, and when I you know, when I teach. I uh, I mimic that style. I've got a bunch of uh, uh, short sleeve button ups in different styles that that are somewhat loosely inspired by uh, James Adkins and his and his look. And yeah, and just like the way, like I it was like he did like they did like a track by track for Rock Sound and um just like how like the message of the songs I thought was so important and I thought that they um and just like the way he was speaking about it was like so interesting and intelligent. Um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's definitely, it's well thought out all of the, the approach to all of these songs and the, and the albums as a whole, it's just, um, it, you know, it's very, uh, it, it's, it's nice to, to hear a, a band that you like that actually puts their all into their music and, and, you know, you get out what they put in. Yeah. And I think I'm and like, I guess also like they're a band that like, you're really excited to see what they're going to do next, even though they have been around forever. <laughs> And you know, you were saying that they have they have a steady base. I feel like I'm in the second wave of Jimmy Eat World fans. There's like the hardcore ones that knew them when they were in Mesa, Arizona. And we and David and I have both got to know several of these people. Um, and they have some interesting stories that I'm hoping some of them come on and talk and tell us these stories. But then there's like the second generation, which is when they got onto K-Rock and and uh and Prime Rock Radio and they had Lucky Denver Mint and they were featured in mm-hmm. films. And then there's those big albums after that they made. Uh, and like you, like you came in with Invented. That's one of those was, that's an, an album that I feel like an unlikely contender for bringing in new fans, but ha- yeah. that's great though. That was what I realized was a lot of, I like have a really soft spot, spot in my heart for Invented. I realized a lot of people hate that album. Yeah. I, I, I don't like, know why. Oh, I really liked I, it. Yeah. I, I like love, I still love it. Like, um, yeah, I think yeah. it also comes down to a place in time when you hear your, that album and what you associate it with. That's true. I think that's a big factor as well. Yeah. And and yeah, Integrity Blues gets a lot of flack from from the community. That just seems to be like the one that they they like. Um, I don't know. It seems to have one of those polarized uh, re- responses to it. Yeah, I actually I liked Integrity Blues. Um, I think Damage was the one I wasn't as impressed by. Yeah. Um, but yeah, solid band, great band. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So with this with this track that we're doing uh, with Seventeen, this was this is a Tom song. You know, did you even know, did you even know that Tom sang songs? Yes. I knew he sang early, but I thought he left the band. <laughs> oh, yeah? like, that's why, that's why there's a different singer for the rest of the <laughs> albums. Like he must've just <laughs> left. 
Because when I first heard it, I thought maybe Jim's voice got higher. <laughs> no, yeah, I was, I was, I was surprised too. <laughs> I never thought that he left the band, but I was surprised to hear that he, that he did songs. It's interesting on, to me. Sorry. No, I was, I was going to say on this, on this album specifically, um, on Static Prevails, he did half the songs. Him and Jim split the songs 50-50 essentially, like six and six pretty much. Yeah, and I, I thought I, it's really interesting because this is the only case I can think of where they've had like a, like a singer change without a lineup change. Um, yeah. <laughs> so that's why I thought he left. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it is really weird to me because I like, I don't know, I just really associate Jim Atkins' voice with like, not only with Jimmy World, but like with, I, I mean, to the extent you want to call Jimmy World like an emo band, I know emo is like a, lo- like a loaded term, but. Yeah, um, right. But like I just associate it with like that kind of music and also just like pop punk in general has always had like lean towards those like higher uh, voices. Yeah, I felt like his his sound. Um, I, that's when I, when I when I heard Lucky Denver Mint, I heard his voice. So I had associated that sound and the Jimmy World sort of band sound with with his voice, which which is in, which is in a higher register. And then hearing Tom, I was I was really just kind of off off put by it just because with how it seemed like his range was lower but the more that I listened to Tom songs and this is I I want to say that I, I definitely know that we did episode four which is our first or we did a few Tom songs in the beginning but off of this album I really like how Tom sounds on Static Prevails I think it's just it like to me it almost feels I mean I think um it just feels like a different band sometimes um yeah. and like yeah I think I mean I think he sounds great but I yeah, and part like of that is probably because no, go ahead. There's like some of something of like kind of it's almost like a different like it's an aesthetic switch where it's like even to me like the guitar sounds very like it has like a very rough low tone, and so does yeah. his voice. So it's like yeah, it just feels like it's a different style entirely. Right. There's a lot of stuff that hasn't been honed with them as a band. Now we had discussed, uh, we, we had independently, our last episode, we had independently done in my room, which is off of the Orangewood sessions. And I, and I went on to the archive version of their old website and that's not even listed. One, two, three, four is listed, which was, uh, 1990. Oh my gosh. I think three or four. I can't remember the year, but that's the first album that they say they came out with, which if you've ever heard anything off of that, um, it's a, it's a four track EP. It's, yeah. it's raw. I mean, it is very gritty. Um, so I think that there's a lot of things developing at this point in time when we're hearing static prevails, this is when they get Mark Trombino pr- producing mm-hmm. this. Uh, they've got, you know, they've got money backing them to, to get this, um, this album put together. They're no longer self-producing anything. Um, and, and so they have a lot of different things changing. So in the next album, when clarity or, I believe I'm, I'm so mixed up when clarity comes out. That's when you hear way more gym songs, a different guitar sound because it's, it's being produced differently. So that's why it sounds like a different band to me. I, I that's why I imagine it sounds like a different band is because it was technically it, they weren't, they hadn't formed their sound yet. Yeah. And I was reading up on this album, which I want to point out is older than I am. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, stat, so static prevails was like their major uh, label debut. And apparently I was reading online that like they got a lot of criticism from um, from critics and from fans, and a lot of people saw it as like their like major label like sellout album, uh, which is interesting because I right. can't imagine. I think this is probably like a just having grown up with like 
sort of like the pop punk peak and then fall. I can't imagine a major label debut um, or like a major label asking someone to sound like this. Um, So it's just, yeah, it it feels very like, I don't know if I feel like hardcore is kind of a stretch, but it it feels like that a bit more than it feels like, I don't know, I think like alternative or pop punk. Yeah, I would, I, I would agree with that. I don't know why the people were being, and you know, there's that there's that camp with all these bands. The 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 there's the first round of people that just sort of it fell fell in love with the band when they were fledgling and they were just getting themselves situated, uh, and they feel like they're owed that sound. So when they change, what are they going to do? Now they've they've got a Capitol Records label association. They're sellouts, but they're just growing as a band and. The production assistants with Mark Trombino, and on this particular song, we, you know, I wanted to mention Rob Schnapp and uh, Tom Rothrock. They mixed it. They mixed a couple of songs on this album, but with that help, it it refines their sound and then gets them to, you know, find that that groove and then ultimately become the band that they were destined to be. They're just at the beginning. They're trying to just make ends meet, put albums out, and makes make some noise. Yeah, I think this is kind of like a like a sort of silly comparison, but you know, a lot of sitcoms don't get good until like the third or fourth season. Right. <laughs> like I would agree with that. Yeah, yeah you like, watch but, early episodes of Friends, and it's tough to watch because it's kind of like they really didn't. You don't get the characters. You know, they don't have those um, the history. The characters don't have the history. They don't have those rep the reputation. It's just it's awkward. Yeah, and like the first season of The Office, like uh, yeah, it's just like so it takes a while to like find that rhythm and like get into it. And I think that like. I think there's all, especially now there's a lot of pressure on bands to like put out a good first album and second album. But like for a band that's been around as long as Jimmy Eat World has, it like, like the beginning of your catalog doesn't really matter anymore. I feel right. Yeah. The bulk of their work is going to be what people reference in the last, in the, in the, basically the, the early two thousands. And then now, you know, with, with what they have with surviving, which is a, I mean, such a good album that they came out with. And the fact that they had uh, these these interesting songs on there, a great video for um, for Stay, uh, and then Five Five Five's crazy little video, and then the whole meme thing that they've done with that. It's kind of like they've 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 set these little feelers out for for people to come in and, and get interested in the band, but they're still doing their Jimmy Eat World sound. Yeah. Um, now now the lyrics the lyrics of this song, um, if you're if you're looking at it, I think you you've already commented on this that. Uh, hung up here on a web of comfort, taking off with nowhere to go, standing tall with your new cloak armor, making out like it's all been done. Uh, you kind of have to read the next few lyrics. Uh, there's a pre-chorus that goes, it's harder than it seems. You slip but never fall. They'll take you when you won't come back to me. They'll take you when you won't come back to me. That seems to be the verse, pre-chorus, and chorus. And they kind of rinse and repeat that a couple of times. But listening yeah. to those lyrics, I mean, do you get the vibe of like someone's going out They're, you know, not to be too literal, but they're 17 and they're essentially on the cusp of going out on their own? Yeah, it's like um, going off to college, <laughs> the Blake yeah. song. And I think that that was sort of what I got. I think they'll take you where you won't come back to me is very like, that's a little um, extreme. <laughs> and <laughs> that kind of made me where I was like, are they going to like the army or something? <laughs> um, but like that was kind of like, yeah, I, that really something about like, yeah, like leaving home, leaving, like having some sort of big change. Because I think um, on, in verse three, it says my friend. So that made me think that it was kind of um, maybe like a friendship is dissolving 
before going to college or something like that. Yeah, they're realizing that everyone's going to be going on their separate ways or yeah. potentially could be. And is it worth turning back despite these open hands? You're tearing me apart. I think it just that sounds like goodbye for somebody who is 17 mm-hmm. and they're becoming an adult and 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 dealing with a lot of changes. Uh, and but going back to the chorus, I think that's the one line where they're this this person that's the sort of the the focus of the song is reiterating what their parents told them. And maybe that their parents warned them, they'll take you when you won't come back to me. Like you're going to leave here and you're not going to want to come back. And, you know, not necessarily like you were saying about the army, but I'm thinking of somebody going off and then being exposed to a nightclub or they get older and they go to a bar and, you know, they're just getting these adult experiences that's that it's, they're not their little kid anymore. They're not the, the kid that's going to be playing video games, um, you know, or playing soccer. Yeah. So it's a little bit of like a melancholy, you know, vibe to the whole song, uh, which is very, I mean, that's that's very much Jimmy Eat World. It's like they write these songs that if you start to look at the lyrics in detail, it's kind of like a sad, a sad little story. Yeah, but I would argue it ends on a positive note because the last line is you need to find yourself. And I think this is going back to what we were saying about like it's growing up, you're leaving home and you're becoming an adult and you're becoming your own person. Um, and it's a little bit like, like maybe you won't come back, but you'll figure out who you are. Yeah, I think that you're right. And that's sort of the, that's one of those little like passing, uh, comments at the very end when, okay, we're about to find out this person's going to go off and leave and do their own thing, but you need to find yourself. You're going to, you need to do this. You, this is a, a rite of passage for you to become an adult. You have to go off on your own. So that's a great comment that I, I would totally agree that it, it does have a positive ending, even though the whole the setup is very kind of, um, it's real. Yeah. And I think there's this, like this whole kind of tension in the whole song between like, I mean, since the first line from like comfort and safety and like kind of like the unknown and uncertainty. Right. Now you said that, um, 1996, this album came out before you were born. Yes. About six <laughs> Let me months. ask you this. <laughs> Let me ask you this. Uh, you were three at the time, but have you ever seen never been kissed? No, but I, I did look up the song and I had, seen that there was like a a different version right and that took a that took david and i down the proverbial rabbit hole of research in trying to figure out what what is up with this sort of this alternate version of this song and i'm going to play a clip real quick from from that film and this is the scene just to for anyone who hasn't seen it and i've I, and i'm going to be honest and, and say that i haven't seen this film all the way through i've, I've watched um about the first half of it a couple of times and um, I get the gist of what the story is, and, and this this is the synopsis. is a newspaper reporter enrolls in high school as part of research for a story. So she's essentially, um, the setup is she is um, a copy editor that wants to be an investigative reporter, be out in the field, and no one's ever giving her a chance because she's just kind of like a stickler for for wording and grammar, and she's kind of a, you know, just kind of a, the nerdy girl, right? And so this this part where this scene is, is that the owner of the newspaper that she works for, which is the Chicago Sun Tribune, I want to say, says, hey, you, you look like you're young enough. You got to go to, you're going back to high school. And so she has to kind of get her stuff together and go to uh, essentially look like um, a senior. I believe she's, she's going to be a senior in this. So she's like 17. So right after the scene after this, she... The scene after she gets the uh, that direction from her boss, she goes to see her brother, picks up her brother's car, 
um, which he affectionately names Bambi. And I believe that is like a, it's like a 72 Chevy Vega, something. It's some crappy car. <laughs> and and uh, so she's driving up in this thing. But in this little scene where she's transitioning from realizing that she's got herself into, like, she's, she's pretty in deep um, to getting ready and going to school is there's like a 45 seconds of this track, which is essentially um, 17. So here's that clip. This is a very bad idea. Did you happen to catch that at the very end? The uh, what was that? The so it's a back, it's a backfire. <laughs> oh. But they did this this thing that it sound you know I remember this from um, Austin Powers when he's doing his little uh, divinals. I touch myself dance, and they catch him dancing. I think uh, Vanessa catches him dancing, and the record scratches. It's hard to hear, but you can hear it underneath this, this sort of backfire gunshot thing. You can hear the record scratch. So you've oh. got this sound bed of this girl driving up. Uh, you can hear the engine running. They've got these, this ambient noise of people, the students that are kind of talking and enjoying walking up to school for the first day. And then you hear this bang and then the record scratch and it goes completely silent. It's hard to hear, but it's in there. I didn't catch it until I listened to it again this afternoon. It's very subtle, but I just love the music or the the sound effects additions to that little scene. And it's Drew Barrymore. I did I did I failed to mention that. Are you are you familiar with with Drew Barrymore and, and um, her line of work? Yes. <laughs> do, do you like her as an actress? Um. So I actually just recently started watching Santa Clarita Diet. <laughs> so <laughs> I've been seeing quite a bit of her the last few days. Um. Yeah, I mean, she's fine. <laughs> I really think she has opinion. that same, I think she has the same, I watched one episode of that, and she's got that same personality that she has um, that, that, that's in these movies, these late 90s movies. My yeah. first introduction to her was, uh, aside from uh, E.T., which I, I don't remember because I was so young, but uh, was uh, Wedding Singer, one of my all-time favorite films, my all-time Adam Sandler films, right? So she does this kind of lighthearted, girl next door, naive kind of sound. That's how she is in in Santa Clarita Diet, right? Yeah, it was a very much like. So I can't remember like what the first introduction to her was. It may have been music and lyrics. I haven't seen The Wedding Singer, um, but no. But I remember like when I was watching, it, I was like, this is like a typical Drew Barrymore role when I was watching Santa Clarita. Clarita diet. Right. So she does have that. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's, that's kind of like her typecast um, yeah. persona is that just that um, sort of aloof, um, you know, cute, but underdog kind of personality. Yeah. It's like a very typical, like, just like nice, sweet person. Right. Yeah. Sweet. I think that's yeah. the best way to put it. That's the most endearing term for the, for her, her <laughs> type of character. Now, I, I don't know if you caught it, but in your research, you probably came across this, that the lines that are different are um, you're only you're only 17, right? Yes. As opposed to they'll take you when you won't come back to me. But, yes. you know, I was listening to this. 
And I was thinking about this on the way home, and everyone's saying that this is a demo of of 17. It was in the film, but it wasn't on the album, which is the opposite of what uh, Lucky Denver Mint was. It was on the album OST, but it wasn't in the film that mm-hmm. I could find. Yeah. But I, I think the way that this song is introduced into this little scene it sounds like it's got this little tickly guitar intro and then it's got Zach that just comes in with the drums and he goes straight into the pre-chorus where he says, it's only in your dreams, but it felt like it was real. And then he goes, you're only, you're only 17. I feel, and this is my, this is my personal opinion, speculation, uh, that this was written for this, for this, um, for this film. I think that's, that was kind of my um, understanding too, that they changed the lyrics for the film. Yeah, and then they did a very small little recording. They had already put together 17. It just didn't have 17 in the lyrics. And maybe they were fiddling around or they said, hey, can you make this more so it seems like this is a, you know, this, this whatever her age is in the movie, 28 years old. Now she's got to be a 17-year-old again. That, that's what I think. It just, it doesn't sound like a demo to me. It sounds like they jump right into the song and it's specific for that little 25, 30-second spot that you hear it. Yeah, and I think also, like, just, like, the the lyric, I don't know, like, it just doesn't feel like those lyrics are, I don't know, I'm trying to say this in, like, a less critical way. It, those, the line, you're only, you're only 17, is an improvement on they'll take you or you won't come back to me, you know? It's, like, yeah. it feels a little right. forced um, right. to fit that, like, um, to fit this, like, the space in the line. Um, and it also is just kind of, like, other than the context of the movie, it, like, doesn't really make sense, Right. I mean, then I'm assuming that they had, they had already labeled the title that title that yeah. track 17. But you're right, it wouldn't really make sense. So that's my speculation is that, that that's why you know there's David and I did some fairly extensive research trying to locate this um the version where this this demo, you know, version of the song might exist. He went back so we were on Discogs and we looked at um not just the early tape edition, but there is a a three-song compilation that Jimmy Eat World put out in 1996. It says, produced by Wes Kidd, Mark Trombino, and Jimmy Eat World. Um, and it mentions 17 and Rockstar. But it only has three tracks on it. So it doesn't have the normal 12 that are on this album. It only has three. So our assumption was that this tape um, that potentially exists might have it on there. But still, I really feel like no matter how far back we go, who we reach out to, um, no one's going to have an answer. They're all going to say, oh, no, it's the you know, they'll take you back or take, you know, it'll be the other lyrics, the the actual lyrics that we're used to. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to tell also with like a song that's, that is this old and that they don't talk about or like don't reference anymore. Right. Um, so it's, it's hard to tell, but it does feel like since, since it's only those four, like really it's only those 45 seconds in the movie that like, that's the only clip we have of that right. version. So it's, it's like, so that's what makes me think is that, that like the, the album version is like, the version. Right. And, and you know what else is like, David and I are super sleuths, right? So we ended up, um, we, we looked at IMDB. We tried to find, we tried to approach this from like angles that maybe other people haven't. Cause you can go on a YouTube and you look at all the versions of 17. There's one, there's a 2001 live yeah. quote rare version <laughs> that's um, that, you know, you look at the comments below and it's like, is this the one from never been kissed? No, it's not. So we thought, why don't we just ask someone that was associated with the film and their music? So both David and I separately reached out to these two individuals, both music supervisors on 
Oh, wow. Um, never been kissed. And unfortunately, we have yet to hear back from them. But Mich- Michelle Silverman, and she was credited as Michelle's, Michelle Kuznetsky, and then Mary Ramos, who was uh, credited as Mary Ramos Odin. Uh, both of them, we had reached out to them and explained. Uh, I went through LinkedIn, and I, I believe he may have gone through, uh, I want to say Facebook or, or Twitter, but just and gave let them know what we're looking for and why they chose that song. Because they're the ones that essentially you know, said yay or nay on, on what, um, what kind of music is going to be included on the soundtrack and what's in the film. So, I mean, until we hear back from them, something, we may hear something else like, but my, my money is on that. They wrote that song specifically for the film. Yeah. It's just, it's really, it's like a very like weird and interesting case of like, they're having changed the line, like the chorus line essentially for the, yeah. for the movie and then having the song in the movie but not on the soundtrack and the song that's on the soundtrack, which was like a arguably, well, was objectively a much bigger hit was not in the movie. Right. So right. Like, it's just and like, none of this is adding up. <laughs> right. And if you jump in, let me just play the intro for you again, just so everyone can hear what I'm talking about. It goes from this little guitar to, to Zach with the drum. And then it goes straight into the pre-chorus. And it's a shame that we can't take that extracted from the film because it's got it's got the L train noise in there and mm-hmm. it's got the sound of that car driving through. But just listening to that, it totally sounds like this was there's no way they're going to jump into the middle of the song, which is yeah. where that pre-chorus comes in. And here, let me just play that little snip here for you. So I've got it at one minute and 49 seconds. This is like dead center of the song is where this second part comes in. The second um, pre-chorus. So this is after the second verse. I mean, it's a different sound. They re-recorded it because you can hear Tom's voice sounds a little bit deeper in this, mm. but definitely um, a different, it's a different sound and there's no way that they're just going to drop in. You know, there's yeah. there's so much pointing toward they wrote this little small 20 second bit as opposed to trying to edit in like the middle of the song, unless in this demo version, they totally rearranged it and threw It's Only In Your Dreams, which is a pre-chorus way at the beginning. Right. I th- and I think you're right to point to like the fact that it is like who would start with the second pre-chorus. Yeah. Uh, and it, and those lines kind of feel like they're probably out of the whole song, the most relevant to like the movie where she's pretending she's something she's not. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's so like there. The I think, I think you and I have, have, have now, uh, you and I both concur that yes. there's, there's no demo version. It's, it's all, I don't know who initialized that thought. I couldn't find the source of it. Like who said, Oh, it's a demo version. But until we hear back from Michelle or Mary, there's no way, um, you know, there's no way to tell. But my assumption is that this was, uh, this is not a demo. So on Wikipedia, which we all know, <laughs> is, yeah. is such such a definitive source <laughs> authority. Um, it says it is either an early alternate or demo version. <laughs> That's what it says. However, that Wikipedia, yeah, you're right. It's, it's completely crowdsourced, right? Yeah. So it's funny because it's like, People are like, well, it's or it could be an alternate version. Yeah. So you, I yeah. guess nobody So knows. maybe, and I don't know when this was, if you can see on the edits. Like, let me see if I can click edit. 
So let me see, switch to visual. I am not logged in. My IP address will be publicly visible, yada, yada. <laughs> so it doesn't have any date in here. It just says other mixes in 17. Because I'm trying to think of when maybe somebody put this section in here, but I, I can't really see the date or time on, on when that was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so 17 appears in the film Never Been Kissed as an early alternate or demo version. Yeah, maybe, I don't know what, you know, I'm not in the music industry, maybe an early version is kind of like, hey, here's five bars or six bars of our song. What do you think? Should we continue with it? It doesn't sound right. Yeah, it doesn't sound like that was that would be what they would put in a movie, too. Like, yeah. I mean, also like the whole. I mean, the whole thing with the demo is like that's kind of like an extra thing for the fans. I don't. I mean, you put out like the polished version of the song because it's a finished version. You're not going to go and give someone the first draft, right? To put in like a major motion picture. And between the internet, YouTube, um, and Amazon, even I went on Amazon and commented on a guy that um, that had this twelve surge. Like, remember surge? Do you remember surge soda at all? I think you were probably like four years old. I do not remember this. At all. <laughs> yeah, it was like Coca Cola had this thing. It was caf- It was like extra caffeinated. It was kind of like Jolt Cola, but for like the new generation. And they they put out this two disc CD set with twelve songs, and the first song on it was seventeen. Um, and there was, it was the same CD and apparently it said, rip this apart and share one with your friends. So it was like the same 12 songs, but you just get to share it with somebody. Um, I even commented on that and David heard back from somebody who was selling a version of that. And even that version has the, the, the one that we're both familiar with on Static ah, Prevail. Okay. So there is no version that we know of that actually exists that's in somebody's hands, whether or not they're saying they have it. I mean, no one's even said they have it like, oh yeah, it's, it's packed away. No, it doesn't exist. I think also the fact that Lucky Denver Mint, which was from an album that came afterwards, was on the OST. Yeah. Like, I think that shows they wouldn't have put the demo. You know, it's not like they had the demo and then later they changed it. Yeah, but, like, like they're, they're just the walking around with a demo in their pocket. Like, hey, remember this from two two or three years ago? Um, I just, I happen to have this tape. Would you like to put this in your in your movie? Yeah. It doesn't add up. Yeah. Uh, so that was the biggest thing. I thought that that was what we were going to be talking about the most was the fact that this showed up and never been kissed. But you know what? We have laid this to bed. I think that there's nothing else to say um, about yeah. the fact that there's there's this purported demo out there. Yeah. I think also something I was interested in um, was the fact that Jimmy World is such a numbers band. They just love songs with numbers in them. <laughs> um, 17, I think it's a 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 5, 5. There must be others that I'm not thinking of right now. Um, well, there's definitely episode, yeah, episode four, four one, two, three, four, five, five, five. 77 if satellites. Yeah, if you've been playing along at home uh, and you've paid attention so far, I mean, really, there's there's really no exact like formula to which yeah. songs we're doing, but you can definitely tell if this is our 17th episode and we're doing 17, that we are we are playing into the whole numbering game too, uh, because yeah. they they are definitely they have uh, they have numbers. 23, which I listened to on my 23rd birthday. <laughs> Man. Yeah. And so that was this year for you? Yeah. So, and I listened to it and I was like, and he says like, like soon I'll be 23. And I was like, I can't believe he wrote this whole album when he was 22. Like, what have I done with my life? And then I did the math and he was like 29. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. And I was like, yeah, why would he do that? <laughs> he just stepped out of his body for a moment and wrote this as a 22 year old. And I remember that 20, you know, there's, there's different things that happen in your life. But I remember 23 being a really cool time. It was like a transitionary part in my life. I was I was moving into my own place. I was on my own and I meeting new friends and all this stuff. And it's not like things got worse at all, but things changed. And I just remember I hung so much on the fact that I was 23. Like, this is going to be the best year ever. 
And I turned 24 and was like, I can't use 23 anymore. <laughs> it's interesting because like 23 is like in a lot of ways a very similar time to being 17. I think it's like a similar transition of like you're leaving your yeah. kind of well, like your 20, life as you know it for yeah. a while. And I remember that my family had told me that they said 23, your early 20s doesn't, doesn't have to be 23. It's going to be your most transitionary period in your life where you're you're finding yourself as a real adult and then you're you're leaving these things behind like friends behind you're leaving uh, maybe a, a part-time job behind you're going into a career so yeah i get that yeah and i think there's it's interesting because like there are a lot of songs about being 17 um and there's a lot of songs especially like in the pop punk space about being 23 like what's my age again yellow card has a song called 23 um and it, it has i think it has to do with like like growing up is such a big theme in like pop punk and emo. Um, and like, these are kind of like coming of age years. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Both, both as, as musicians and then the fans that are listening to it, they understand what they're going through. Right. Yeah. And so I didn't, um, that was really all we had for, for 17. There wasn't really much else as far as like online jabber about this. There was one, I always go to Reddit to check out what they have there and there was one comment or one question, and this is kind of cool. They, they, uh, this was from Paul Roger, which we have actually quoted a few times in recent episodes. They're still very much active in the community. But the title of this was, um, was Saventine. I don't know if that Uh-oh. was intentional or not. Saventine, unreleased demo. Uh, with the with the uh, follow up text that I'm curious, has anyone ever heard the full version of the Seventeen demo that was featured in the <laughs> Never Been Kissed movie? Just Lucky Denver Mint. That's a little different from the album version. Yeah, which I was telling David, I'm excited to do that uh, Lucky Denver Mint because the version that was on that on that OST was actually a little bit different from the album. Uh, uh-huh. But that's it. That's all that there was from Paul Roger um, asking that. And that was two years ago that they asked that. Oh, wow. Yeah. Unsolved mystery. Exactly. And you know what? Maybe we can revive this and then uh, Jimmy World, they can, just, you know, they can have a conversation about it. <laughs> uh, and another thing I was thinking about was uh, I was I was kind of browsing the subreddit a, a while back, and somebody was asking about the time signature of um, uh, Goodbye Sky Harbor. They go, what's the time signature for Goodbye Sky Harbor? And one of the other comments in there was, hey, I reached out to Zach on Twitter and asked him, and Zach responded pretty quickly. He goes, dude, I have no idea what it is. <laughs> and I think that just goes to show that this band, they they kind of put the stuff that they wrote a long time ago and the stories and and the the kind of these things that happened, they're they're kind of they're no longer relevant. They're moved, they're looking forward. So even if somebody was to ask, like David was to ask um Tom or or Rick, like, hey, what happened to this demo? They'll probably go, I have no idea what you're talking about. I know that we were in um, you know, never been kissed, but maybe they forgot that it was even a different version. So I we can't be disappointed if we don't get an answer to this, but yeah. For the time being, unsolved mystery. I think that it's was a great also, way of putting it. Yeah, I think it's also like a lot of these, de- like especially with like the numbers things, like a lot of these decisions are arbitrary. And like when a young band is making them, they're even more arbitrary because they're not thinking ahead to like longevity or having any sort of like kind of like mystery or having like Easter eggs. It's just mm-hmm. kind of like they're like, okay, like I think I even heard like um, that like the 182 and Blink 182 was like essentially like an arbitrary number. Um, but now yeah, that would be David, David could weigh in on that one. And <laughs> I, I, I have no idea. And it could have just been, it could have been, um, yeah, they just, I looked at a picture that I want to say Tom DeLong posted and originally a sticker on the side of one of his amps had the, the blink bunny 
with a it was blinking with one eye and then it just said blink. So maybe you're you're right. Maybe one eight two is just like, hey, let's just pick a number. <laughs> yeah, I like I don't know. I don't know if Yeah, and you're right, like these things happened so long ago that we're like I don't even know if the people who were like involved in those decisions even know anymore. Right. And what is that like, you know, when you're like an eyewitness to something, there's a good chance that even if you (laughs) eyewitness something, you're going to tell the wrong story. Yeah. There's a term for that. But that's probably the same thing is that these guys have heard so many different stories over the years, years that maybe Blink-182 would say the wrong story that somebody kind of fed them because they thought that was the funniest one 10 years ago. And that's what they stuck with. Or like, is it it the Mandela effect where you're like, you hear a rumor (laughs) and then you start believing it? Um, But anyway. Like the, Nel- yeah, Nelson Mandela, yeah. him, not like Mandala, but the Mandela, Mandela effect. Mandela, yeah, effect, yeah. Yeah, which is different from the Barbara, the Streisand effect, which, uh, are you familiar with that one? No. Uh, so that one is uh, when you bring something up and you actually make it worse by bringing it to light. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you're right. Mandela effect is false memory. You're right. Okay, cool, cool. I had to drag that out while I looked at our favorite Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> Wikipedia David is so David, I use good. it so much. And so... Yeah, it's it's a good place for rumors, I guess. <laughs> yeah. All right. So with with this song with covers, there wasn't really much. Um, I don't even want to go over the guitar only one, and and the reason why is because I don't really I don't I don't necessarily do backing tracks. Mm-hmm. And this guy, which you know, more power to you, uh, Chris Williamson Six. Uh, he's in a band called Native Skies. We'll give you a little shout out there. But um, it was you know he played along. It just didn't sound, um, it, it wasn't very unique. It was just guitar over the existing song. Right. There are now, did you want, did those. you want me to play the piano? Yeah. So, um, do you want me to like preface yeah, it? Or go ahead. Just go straight yeah. And, I'll, and when you're ready, I'll, I'll, I'll hit it. So this was an all piano version. And I like this because it was very much in keeping with like the Jimmy world that I sort of think of, um, rather than this kind of like harder, heavier, fuzzier Jimmy world. Okay, and and so this is from Code Piano, and it looks like how to play a song with notes. Jimmy Eat World 17 cover tutorial instructional videos with notes on the piano, which is actually pretty cool, uh, the fact that they have this, because let's say you want to be in a band or you're just learning piano and you're really into Jimmy Eat World and you want to know how to play it. Um, I know I've used tutorials like this to play you know, obscure songs that have like a piano or an organ in the background, and I want to know which notes they're actually playing. So let's, I'll play a little bit of this. This is the 17 piano tutorial, uh, Synthesia.
That is like strangely beautiful. I really like it. I my like my like line of thinking when it comes to covers is that they need to be um, recognizable as the original song, but there has to be like some significant change. And uh-huh. I think this is like one of those that like walks the line perfectly, where it's like you can hear it's the same melody, it's even like the same like the instrumentation is following like the same notes, and yeah. you can tell it's the same like you can f- tell it the same it's the same song, but at the same time it's like it's it is very different and it is like done it's like a fun twist on it. Yeah, and they, and the beginning is a little bit um you know it's got the the sound of the dun 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 dun, which is a little bit slow, but when they get into the it might be the verse, but it does that arpeggiated like doodly doodly, and then that sounds to me like Jimmy Oral, like that's their yeah. song. I think it even like, you, sort of even reminded me of Dizzy a little bit, like yeah, sort of, yeah, like the softer kind of side and like the more like like having those like little like melodic um like softer melodic notes. And I could totally imagine or picture uh. A, a very uh, kind of like a techno, not a techno beat, but something that would come out of a, a digital piano right. underneath this that would kind of solidify that sound. And then, of course, Jim singing on top of it or Tom singing on top of it would be would be the icing on the cake. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So that was that was really nice. I, I don't know if anyone wants to take that little bit since we weren't talking or anything over if they wanted to take the extract that and then remix that. Or if you even wanted to go on to Jimmy at World 17 uh, synthesia, you could you could download it yourself, but I think that's really cool, and that could that could be used in other um, remixes really well. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um. So that's all I have for the covers. We've gone over the lyrics. We have uh, we have spoken about um, never been kissed. You know, a, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so let me ask you this then. Okay, is there um is there anything else that you wanted to mention? Um. Not really. Okay. So then, Alia, I must ask you, what is your final thought on the Jimmy Roll track 17? Um, my final thought. Mm-hmm. I think it's a very kind of, well I, well, I think it's, I think it is about being 17, and I think it's a sort of like a coming of age song, and I think that's sort of the fear, and I think even like some of the dread is really present, and then like sort of the tone of the song. Um, yeah, and I think, and I, yeah. And and you made um, a good comment about it, it kind of coming back around. Yeah. And so they do, they do give you that dread like this. this is a sad story you're going to hear, but then they <laughs> kind of bring it back around. It's like, you know what though, you need to find yourself. Yeah, and I th- also like for a song that like kind of isn't at all kind of pop leaning, it has a very catchy um, chorus. It's like a chorus that really sticks with you. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just like, it's, to me, it's like it's like a very different side of Jimmy Eat World. Yeah, yeah, I, I've got to say. So you know, n- not really. I've heard the song before. It's been on, you know, in the background going through the tracks of um, of Static Prevails. But this is the first time that I listened to it with um, it, with intention and with you know really close closely analyzing it. And I got to tell you, man, I think I'm falling in love with Tom. <laughs> We've mentioned him before, but the more I hear it, it's just like he's got a very clean sound. So I can yeah. see why certain people were disappointed. Um, you know, one of the threads, the recent threads was, are we going to have a Tom's, at least one Tom song on surviving? And we didn't have one. So they're a little bit bummed out. But I get it, man. There's a there's a certain draw to his sound. I think the last one he recorded was Action Needs an Audience. But you just, oh. I, I, I always appreciate it. I would love for a Tom song on every album, at least one. Yeah, I wonder why he doesn't sing anymore. Yeah, I, it's just, man, maybe it's, it's because he's just, in, in interviews, 
Tom has said that most of the writing direction for the songs is from Jim. So maybe he feels like he doesn't have a place to sing this song or, you know, this is going to be Jim's song. So these songs like Action Needs an Audience or 17 or Episode 4, these are songs that that Tom mm-hmm. sort of came came to the table with. Mm-hmm. But I... I you know, my final thought on this is I, I really like this song. Uh, I'm excited about all the other songs on this album. They're really good too. But there's there's a certain type of um, resonance and this timbre to Tom's voice that, mm-hmm. I don't know, man, the more that I listen to him, the more I, uh, the more I enjoy. I think it's also like, it would be interesting. I'm not as familiar with like that era of emo, but like I wonder like what like people think of the song in the context of like Jawbreaker and like sort of that style of music. Um, yeah, and I think it's it's also interesting that the album is called Static Prevail and it has such like a rough kind of fuzzy sound. Right. So just to go real quickly into that, what do you feel like Static Prevails means to you? I think, I I don't know. I was really, I was thinking about it because it is like, it's one of those album titles that's like something about it is like just a little off enough to like intrigue you and make you think about it a lot. Yeah. Um, and it, it does, Static Prevails, like it just sounds very dramatic in a way. Um, I, it is like the fact that it's called static and it sounds so like, it sounds a little, it doesn't sound like as crisp or as clean as like I expected to hear from Jimmy Eat World. Yeah. That kind of stands out to me. Um, and yeah, I don't know, like the literal interpretation that I think about, like of like when I think of that phrase is like, I think kind of all, all of the noise and all the things that like surround you. Yeah. And static, static can mean a couple of things. Static can mean like a, um, noise and um, the, the actual sound of static, which is just kind of like constant white noise, or it could mean static as being like a status or oh, being one thing. Interesting, right? So like this this monotony prevails, or it could just been like the guys were goofing around, walking around on carpet with socks, touching each other with static, <laughs> and go, "Hey, what about static prevails?" Or it was just like a weird freight, like someone misspoke or like misheard something. <laughs> but it is interesting, like you say, st- static can be like monotony and like in that in that case like i think in the con putting 17 in that context then becomes like well if static is supposed to prevail or like like the status is supposed to be preserved then like what does it mean that like your life is being changed and you're leaving home and you're growing up right right now i have to i have to include this one last little piece here uh david did message me a while ago (laughs) And uh, he goes, here's my completely off-topic contribution. Okay, now I want to see. Are you familiar with the Four Non Blondes? No. Are you familiar with the song What's Up? No. It's the one that they, and maybe I'll just, I might just cut this whole part out. Um, Can you play me <laughs> a clip of the song? Yeah, sure. Let's see. So this is going to be What's Up, which I just listened to the song breakdown on uh, another great podcast, which is called The Session with Christian James Hand, which is awesome if you ever want to listen to songs being broken down track by track. So let's see. What's Up by Four Non Blondes. You're going to know it from the beginning. Let's see. Does it sound familiar at all at this point? No. <laughs> Okay, let me jump ahead to the chorus. Oh, yeah, I know that's why. Yeah. Okay, I'm interested to hear what David's take is. <laughs> okay, let's see. Yeah, let's get to the part where his comment is actually going to make sense here. Let's see. Okay, 
So have you have you seen Saved by the Bell at all? Any episode? Um, I don't, I have never seen a full episode, but I've seen like clips. Okay, because there's. Are you familiar with Dennis Haskins' character, Mister Belding? No. <laughs> okay, he's he's the principal, and he had this this sort of endearing um, personality about him, where he was the authority figure, but Zach or AC Slater always somehow got the better of him. But he had this kind of high voice, and he would say this phrase: "This hey, 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 what is going on here?" Uh. And <laughs> so David's comment, completely off topic, is: "There's no way." That no one has cut Mr. Belding from Saved by the Bell's famous line, hey, 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 what is going on here, into the song that you just listened to. Um, and you know what? That's what he thought, that that somebody had to have it, that had, had to have done it online, on the internet. It had to exist. But you know what? He was actually mistaken. Nobody has done that. So there Mr. is no Kennedy. version of Four Non-Blondes with uh, Mr. Belding intermixed in there. That was his uh, completely off-topic introduction. All of the memes. That we missed out on. There's so many. <laughs> you know what? To keep our listeners, uh, you know, in order to satiate them when they are hungry for our, our content, is we we'll just put things out during the week. And I think this is a great one. He can take down. He can rip Horn on Blondes. What's up? And then also rip the. Uh, I'm sure he's going to find a soundbite of Mr. Belding. Put them together. We'll tag you in it, and that's going to be our introduction um, <laughs> uh, this Friday. <laughs> the other the other thing I really would want to hear like David's take on being like a huge Blink fan is like what he thinks of this of this of 17 compared to going away to college oh yep and you know what and i'm gonna have to have him when he when he's back officially back i'm gonna have you on the show with him and i would love to hear it because he's not gonna hear any of this until friday i love that so it's like when i get to hear what he gets to talk about with somebody else it's kind of like a little surprise for me so save that question for him yeah that'll be a great one yeah and if you ever want to do big casino or my best theory, I'm here. I'm just putting that out here. You got it. I'll mark. I'll mark you down. So, <laughs> big casino. My best theory. Okay, Alia. Is there anything else that you wanted to say? As always, be excellent to each other and party on, dudes. Well, I cannot be on the pod still because Justin and I can't get our uh, my new baby schedule uh, synced up, but. Uh, here I am with an interview to, with somebody who, let me quote you, uh, when are you going to put me on your podcast? I have thoughts and opinions. Do not let my Instagram handle fool you. Instagram handle, semi-charmed life, uh, very canceled on the show, but please welcome Grace to the episode. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm good. So uh, I guess we'll get out of the way. Uh, how did you feel about Zach calling out your Instagram handle after that tour wrapped up last year? Um, so I've, uh, liked Third Eye Blind's music for years and I made that handle when I was like in high school maybe. And, um, so when I saw him, uh, tweet all that, I've met Zach and, um, we have mutual friends and, you know, I've heard enough about him as a person. I I trust what he has to say. I'm a lighting and sound designer. I do tech work. I work with a lot of musicians and bands. I've, I've heard things about that band. Yeah. <laughs> it pretty much lines up. It's uh, all very consistent. So Sure. I, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, he wasn't saying anything uh, in terms new that we hadn't heard around the world. Anyway, I'm just razzing you. I don't, I don't care. I also love their music. So <laughs> yeah. he's very diplomatic. So lighting and sound designer, that, that goes with your bio that says, does cool stuff with cool bands. Um, how did you get into that line of work? I kind of forced my way into it. Um, so Good for you. I changed my major late 
in uh, college and I'm studying theater design and technology doing lighting and sound design. And um, I remember I was always just really into rock bands and I wanted to be part of like a local punk scene or something. And when I got to college, I found that and I kind of just told bands, I'm like, Hey, I'm going to run your merch table. And I'm like 18, 19. And I've, they're just like, okay, here's the money bag. They just trusted me. And I've just That's made awesome. connections over the years. And um, I'm part of a really great scene and I work with a lot of amazing people. And now that I'm getting to do more stuff professionally, it's incredible. Like I just got to um, work my friend's music festival um, where we had simple plan, which was pretty cool. <laughs> That is great. Well, good for you. Especially, I think, uh, I mean, I'm I'm not familiar with the East Coast, let alone where are you, West Virginia or North Carolina or something, one of those split in half states. <laughs> About an hour from Pittsburgh. Okay, so a, a relatively smaller market, which I think gives you more of an uh, of an edge, which is great. Good for you. Congratulations. We're here specifically on your request. First of all, you have thoughts and opinions. And second of all, you specifically requested a static song, which here we are doing 17 for episode 17. So let's hear some thoughts and opinions. Oh, my God. Um, so I remember, I think I was 17 when I first heard this song. Convenient. Very convenient. I, I got into school when I was like 13, I think. And I remember when I was 17, I knew that I knew nothing. I knew I was not ready for the real world. And hearing this song, it was just like, oh, damn, yeah, that's what it is. You know, thinking like hung up here in a web of comfort, you know, taking off nowhere to go. Just like that, not a care in the world. Just kind of, I related to it so much because I, I didn't do jack shit when I was 17. I was a little, sh- I, I was, you know, I was a kid. I didn't do anything but, but have fun. And, um, I relate to that song so much and I, I don't know, I listen to it nonstop on repeat and I don't know, it still resonates with me a lot. And I'm 23. I still feel it. Yeah. I, um, I listened to the song for the first time in a long time today and, uh, Justin was telling me and I, I just, I did not do my homework, uh, cause we haven't done Lucky Denver Mint, but I did not watch, uh, Never Been Kissed, but apparently it's in that film as well. Right. Yeah. So I was going to mention that, um, I remember being 17, I shared a room with my twin sister and I heard um, 17 start playing and I thought it was my computer and it was coming from the TV. And um, the first time I met Jimmy at World, I was 18 in college and I was talking to Rick about it. He's like, oh yeah, they're both in the movie. I was like, why is 17 not credited? He's like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> and it's a, is it, it's a supposedly an earlier demo. I have not watched the movie yet, but the lyrics are slightly different, I think. Um, that's, I, I don't remember. I'm going to I'm going to hope that Justin talked about it on the episode and we're just rehashing stuff at this point because <laughs> we have a really good idea for a co-host. And if it comes through, everyone will have heard it already and it should be actually a really good episode. Um, so uh, you discovered you, did you say you discovered Jimmy World in, when you were 13 or when? Yeah, um, I, I like I knew the middle. I knew that song my whole life. Yeah, I think I got it. I really started getting into them when I was about eighth grade. Cool. And do you have a favorite album, favorite uh, song? it changes it changes a lot um so like futures used to be like not my favorite album but then i saw saw it during the 10-year anniversary tour and it just blew me away um the world you love is one of my all-time favorite songs by them that's one of those songs that off the title alone couldn't tell you what it sounds like but futures as an album it's one of those like jimmy world's very much an album band for me so i'll start it from the beginning and play it all the way to the end like even 17 like i knew the song when it played but off the top of my head, I was like, I don't know what this song sounds like. <laughs> it's hard to just listen to one song by them. Their albums are so, as a whole, anthemic. It's 
Yeah, and they're sequenced so well. Like, everything seems to logically flow into itself. Because I think we talked about with a, that with the song 10. It's like 10 was one of those songs I couldn't pick out, but it fits perfectly with all the songs around it that you almost forget that it's its own thing. Um, like, you're, uh, let's see, um, you're in a local punk scene, so uh, I, I wouldn't necessarily call them punk, but I think they're like a, Maybe like a, I don't know what to call them, but uh, what is it? Set Your Goals has that album, Mutiny. And uh, and at the beginning of Mutiny, there's like four songs. But if you listen to the whole album, they flow into each other. Like, I don't think I knew I was on track five. I thought I was on track two for like a year that I listened to that record. (laughs) I love that. Yeah. So what else? uh, General thoughts and opinions about Jimmy World. We know that you love the song 17. We know that you discovered them when you were really young. And here you are uh, coming up in the scene and uh, having thoughts and opinions about Jimmy World. Having met them a few times, what what other thoughts and opinions have you? Um, I was actually just saying this um, to uh, a friend of mine the other day. What I love about Jimmy World is that they're not a, and I, and don't get me wrong, I eat that shit up, but they're not a gimmicky band. They, um, the music, it really speaks for itself. They don't, and I think that's why, um, I think they're not as recognizable as individuals because there, there's no gimmick or shtick. The music is what speaks for it. And what I like about them is that, um, you can tell every single album they push themselves and it's how genuine it is very much shines through. They're not trying to, uh, please anyone but themselves and they're, and they don't settle. They're not satisfied if they don't push themselves. And I, th- I think that sh- shines through very much. And even if other people might not think it's where they should go, they're like, this is what we need to do and we're going to do it. And I, th- I, I uh, look up to that greatly. I love that about them. Absolutely. And I think you pretty much stole the words right out of Justin's mouth because I think he said that on maybe our preview episode when everybody was like sort of getting to know us. And that was what he had sort of talked about because here we go. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it for the haters. Um, Weezer being his favorite band, rather gimmicky band, um, and Blink-182 being my favorite band, an insanely gimmicky band. (laughs) Um, uh, And that's exactly right. And it seems that their instincts are so correct it's just all of the fandom seems to give them the keys. Obviously, they they have the keys, but a lot of fans of bands get mad about changes or weird things and things like that. But when Jimmy World gets weird, we're just along for the ride, right? And so, like, they do a song like Pass the Baby on Integrity Blues, which stands out as, like, the, the, the outlier on that album. But it works, and it's so cool. And I know that Zach has, like, a blast playing that live. And then they do something like congratulations on the new record. And I, as like an old school, like pop punk guy hear that Davey Havoc's going to be on a Jimmy Eat world record. I'm texting all my friends from high school. Like, Oh my God, Davey Havoc's on the Jimmy Eat world record. Like, um, how cool is that? It's so amazing. Yeah. So yeah, I, I don't think I could have said it better. And I love having the, uh, the, the outlet now to have other fans say what Justin and I, have sort of in a strange bubble of said like his wife and my wife, huge fans of the band. But outside of that, it, it seems that the fandom is a, a quiet riot where few and far between yet come together collectively as like such an amazing group of people. Yeah. They kind of hold our hand through it. It's, it's crazy to me because I don't think they get enough credit for what they do. And um, obviously, you know, they had big records like Bleed and things like that, you know, in the early two thousands. And, but I don't think, 
you know, and I talk about young people, but I myself am very young. I was a kid when that record came out, but um, I see younger people today who are obsessed with bands or artists that were huge fans of Jimmy World or heavily influenced by them. They don't realize that so many, so much music now wouldn't exist if it weren't for Jimmy World and how much they have influenced rock music in the 21st century. Sure, absolutely. And I do think they they go, yeah, they go sort of largely uncredited maybe by the masses, but then you have Taylor Swift who brings Jim out. And I mean, especially at that time, she couldn't have been a bigger artist than to bring Jim out. And hearing him tell the stories of going up on an elevator and all that stuff is just such a trip to hear. Oh, yeah. And even like uh, Chris Caraba played like I think her birthday party at her house or something. And that video ended up going viral. And um, it is really good when you see people who are in a position of power. And I guess that's what it is like growing up and you hear your favorite bands talk about their influences. And you're like, oh, I wouldn't ever listen to this band. But because, you know, Jimmy World talks about it. like uh, the whole last episode. Uh, I don't know if you listen to, but um, uh, Justin talks a lot about the Jesus and Mary chain and uh, Alice's Allison's uh, Halo. Um, but bands we would never listen to if it weren't for a song like the Authority song that calls out all those things um, and says, oh, we should listen to that. <laughs> yeah, they got me into um, listening to music, like bands in general, listening to bands I like, talk about the music they like. Jimmy Eat World got me into Fugazi, Rocket from the Crypt, things like that. Absolutely. Um, so I, I don't, uh, I tell people a lot when I talk about uh, Jimmy Eat World. So basically, with, I don't know if you noticed, what they do is whoever writes the song generally is the one that sings it. And Tom used to do more writing uh, back in the day. And mm-hmm. he has like one song on Invented. I... Obviously, I love Jim's lyrics. I do. But there is something about Tom's writing I absolutely adore. Some of my all-time favorite, like, Jimmy World songs are Tom's songs. And, um, you know, just, it's it's the very simple things where he's like, you know, look alive with your head on backwards. And mm-hmm. uh, you'll, you'll, you'll slip, but you never fall. And I thought about getting that as a tattoo on my foot for the irony of it. <laughs> but it, it, it's, it's relatable. And I don't... I, I wish Tom would write more. I love Tom's songs, and I think he does not get enough credit. Um, but the band as a whole, they are extremely, extremely humble human beings. I've seen them live, and I've met them a couple times. Super, super sweet. Um, Jim has seen me cry in a parking lot, and he was totally cool about it. So that's a whole other story. I mean, why did Jim see you crying? Let's hit the story now. <laughs> Saw you at your most vulnerable. Played, they, they played a venue that was walking distance from my apartment here in West Virginia, which was incredible. Um, and I didn't have a, uh, an updated ID at the time. And uh, I, I ended up not being a, uh, let in the venue. And... Um, I wouldn't normally cry about like a band or a show, but like I had a lot of stuff in my life and that was like the one happy thing I was looking at, like looking forward to in a long time. That was just like the, the last, you know, the last thing to break Camel's back. And I was just like, I was just kind of tears and, and he was super chill about it and took my hand. And, but that was the second time I met them. I think I was um, sh- just shy of 21. Um, the- I don't mean to call Jim out, but did he let you into the show? He, he tried. Um, oh, okay. Hey, look, the man did what he could. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Jim and I have a mutual friend and she was texting him and it was just like, yeah, but no, I, I, I didn't want to ask for anything. They, they were very sweet. But yeah. uh, one of the sweetest humans on the planet is Rick Birch. I adore that man. When I was 18, um, I met them and I just straight up asked him, I was like, could you like pick me up for a picture? And he's like, yeah. And he just scoops <laughs> me up. 
That's amazing. He, but, he, but he's total gentleman, total gentleman. He just scoops me up and I have a picture of him holding me. And I'm giving him a big kiss on the cheek and he's cheesing it. And he was super excited. Like you could tell, like he was kind of standing around fans. Like he wanted to talk to them. He was like really excited to talk to us. And um, I actually, the sole of my boot came off because um, someone stepped on it in the crowd. And he was like, oh, oh. he grabbed the sole out of my hand and he just grabbed, he bent over, just grabbed my leg. And was, I almost fell and he's just trying to stick it back on. <laughs> me, guy, it was so and like 18 year old me who had like a crush on him when I was like 13 is like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. What a great, what a great story. You have to share that photo with us and we'll post that up with a, with our post about the show. There's two. We recreated the photo the second time we met. Oh, what? Oh, that's great. I will send them to you. Yeah, please do. So, yeah. Nicest guys in the world. I adore them. That's cool. I've I've only met Jim, and that was at one of his solo shows that Justin and I both were at. And uh, he always is so jealous that we stuck around after to meet Jim. And, uh, yeah, just an inc- insanely humble, uh, remarkable, unassuming human being. <laughs> And he wasn't even like crowded, like he had just played the show, was standing next to the stage, and no one was bothering him to the point where we were like, I don't know, do we say something to him? And we were both kind of like, well, we we got to drive back to L.A. Like, I mean, we might as well ask now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he just looks like another dad. I have a picture of him and me hard styling. Amazing. <laughs> oh, yeah, they're cool. And one of me giving a kiss, a kiss on the cheek. Love those guys. Oh, my goodness. You have like a whole album with these guys i do i do (laughs) last week we did an orangewood sessions track which i know everybody loves us doing these deep cuts um had you heard the orangewood sessions demos or anything like that uh no i have not oh man i'll have to send you the mp3s i downloaded them forever ago from uh i think caitlin hughes who ran uh the jimmy world online forum way back in the day yeah uh and we're trying to get her on the pod soon so um but i believe i'd gotten those demos years and years and years ago from that website and uh please send them my way i will because they're a trip to listen to for sure i mean it's 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 along the lines of one two three four. Oh, and i guess i sort of teased it on my episode last week but we did get a hold of the man who owns orangewood studios he did work on the record and we will have him on the podcast the next time we do an orangewood session song because the history goes much much deeper than we could have possibly thought so we have so much more to talk about with orangewood sessions which is exciting um, and I think we'll continue to play those songs on those episodes because, yeah, I think not a lot of people have heard them. I would, I think that would be a great idea. I think, uh, I don't think we're going to get in trouble from the band cause they're not losing money on it. They're not anywhere. No, they're, they're not. I don't, I don't think they would, uh, personally care it's usually labels yeah they want us to pull them down we will but (laughs) as far as we know uh i mean zach vaguely understands that we exist but everybody else probably does not know that we exist (laughs) zach i I like uh how active he is on social media he's funny i'd be intimidated to meet him because i'd want to be funny and i (laughs) i don't know if i could pull it off on the spot (laughs) oh man zach they lost when i was when i met them the first time i gave them this drawing i did where they were each drawn as a different cactus and they thought it was hilarious and they lost it. And Zach's that's, like, yeah, we don't have that anymore. That sounds familiar, but you're too young. I believe they talk. Somebody gave them some weird fan art that shows up in the Believe in What You Want DVD. But I don't think I don't think it was that. And that would have been too long ago, right? No, this was 2014. I gave it to them. Oh, OK. Okay. And I have a copy of it anyway, so I can give them give it to them again. I, I wonder what that weird fan art. Have you seen the Believe in What You Want DVD? Yes, I have. 
So somewhere on that, somebody gives them some fan art. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's so weird. It was the same thing where they were characterized as something strange. <laughs> Didn't they like pull it out when they were in the car or something? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I recently watched that on a rainy day and I was home with my son. And I was like, oh, I'll put this on in the background while we play with Lego. And uh, the sound is so bad in it because they just use the onboard microphones. I was like, I have to like, and there's no closed captioning. I was like, I have to like sit down and watch this with headphones because I don't understand what anybody's saying. <laughs> I love all those old videos of them. There's like one where like Rick has got the quintessential like emo boy haircut, the black <laughs> hair. And, um, the 90s though, he, you know, he was ahead of the game. And oh he, yeah, he ends up shirtless in a bowling alley or something. I don't know. They're hysterical. Oh. I wonder if that was from, I'd have to find it, but there was like punknews.org or something like in the 90s does like a video interview with them in the bowling alley. Is that from that? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's one of my favorite videos. So ahead of their time. I mean, especially, I mean, yeah, I know what you mean with the emo swoop bore haircut, but like a song like this is like quintessential 90s emo. Like you can tell that it's Jimmy Eat World, but it's very much more along the like Rites of Spring Yes. Uh, textbook emo uh, genre stuff. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, where everyone's like, uh, I'm, I'm sure you uh, listen or wa- uh, to uh, look, uh, look at the website Washed Up Emo, things like that. Yes. And we will have more about Washed Up Emo in upcoming episodes. OK, cool. Some cool stuff coming up with it. Go on his uh, My Chemical Romance Aren't Emo. <laughs> oh, my gosh. His posts are so good with the guys pushing the truck. <laughs> Have you seen that one? Have you That's seen that one? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> oh, that's so good. My feel really good. And the fact that Jimmy World's opening up with them in like Japan and Australia and New Zealand, I'm really jealous. That's a killer lineup. Yeah, I saw, um, I saw My Chemical Romance open for Blink and I was like kind of like okay with seeing them. I was kind of stoked that James from Reggie and the Full Effect was playing keys with them because he played keys with like Newfound Glory and a bunch of people. So I was mostly stoked to see James on stage with My Chem. And they were amazing. I was like, whoa, I didn't even care to see this band, but like they were really good. <laughs> and I think that was the same show Matt and Kim played. That was a really good lineup. Matt and Kim. Yeah, I saw them open for Blink. It was the Honda Civic Tour in 2011. Yeah. I was 15 and I made my mom take me and she made fun of how tight Gerard Way's pants were. <laughs> what a weird thing to point out. <laughs> we were at the Hollywood Bowl, though. I couldn't see that close. I couldn't see that well. <laughs> that tour stopped at Hollywood Bowl, which was like such a cool, insane venue to see Blink-182. <laughs> I was I was right behind the pit. I was pretty close, and um, the night before, um, Hearts All Gone had leaked from neighborhoods. So oh. I, I, as soon as it leaked the night before, I listened to it, and um, d- right before they played it, uh, it was the first uh show at the tour, I believe. And Mark was like, "Uh, if you this is a new song, and if you listen to the leak last night, you better sing every single word." <laughs> <laughs> that was good because that leak is a different mix than what's on the album too. It is. It is. Yeah. I remember. All right. Well, before we make all of our uh, all of the haters uh, more upset about talking about Blink, is there any other cool Jimmy Eat World tidbits you want to plug or uh, re- reminisce about? I don't. I don't know. Just that they're really funny, sweet guys. Um, I, I don't know. Just Rick Birch has my heart. That's all that matters. <laughs> I mean, that. you're only human. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, and then how about you? What uh, You got shows or things that you want to plug on the East Coast that you've lit lighting design or set design for? Um, not not as of now, but um, I think a lot of people who listen to this podcast would be interested in um, a thing called Four Chord Music Festival, which was created by my close friend Rishi. 
he's in a band called Eternal Boy, and it's a kind of a punk rock, pop punk music festival. You know, we've had uh, the Starting Line, Mayday Parade, Simple Plan, uh, you know, bands like that. It's really fun. And Mayday Parade, I just listened to. I forget the guy's name because sorry, I'm not I'm not in on the newer uh, uh, echelon of bands. But that guy did a covers EP, the lead singer, and he included a Jimmy Eat World cover on there. And I just listened to him on a podcast this morning talking about Jimmy Eat World's influence. Yeah. Um, four chord, four chords. The only thing I want to plug, I, I do it every year with them. When, when, uh, when is the next four chord? Do you know, has it been announced? Uh, it's, it's, it's any, it takes place anywhere between, um, August to December. It's always in the second half of the year. Um, cool. it was just, uh, October 6th, uh, 2019 was the last one. And, um, I don't know when the next one's going to be because this year was the biggest one we had yet. We originally had the offspring opening and it canceled 30 minutes beforehand. So that was kind of sad. Cool. <laughs> that's the biggest one yet. It was the biggest show yet. I was really proud of him. Well, that's cool. So everybody can look for four chord uh, music festival on Instagram, Facebook, wherever you get your socials. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, until next time then, Grace, thank you for coming on Jimmy Eat Pod, and please continue to hit us up with your hot takes. And you too, listener, if you bug us enough, could potentially be on a guest spot on a Jimmy Eat World podcast. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. This is really of fun. Of course. Hey, 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 let's do this. Let's see if you're a true uh, Jimmy Eat Pod listener. Oh, it's <laughs> Bill and Ted. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You say the first part. I'll say the second part. <laughs> Be excellent to each other. And party on, dudes! Party on, dudes. I haven't seen that in so long. Oh, you gotta see it. The third one's coming out.